I want to ask everyone a question here. It's, it's a little strange when you think of the word holy. In fact, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's play this. We're in children's church, okay? Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And all the little grumpy pants, like, I don't close my eyes. Close your eyes. I saw grumpy pants. All right. Now, <laughs> I say the word holy. What do you think of? You have something in your mind when I said the word holy. I know for me, I think of halos or bright lights or some of us might have thought three-piece with a tie that's tight just right. Now open your eyes. Everything we all just thought of holy, let's take that to Scripture today. There's classes that I've taught before about uh, our Christian walk related to parenting, related to marriage, and, and the first thing I like to start off with is treat everything we believe to be a fact right now as a hypothesis. Is it, potential, is it a potential, is it possible that we are wrong about something related to God? Is it possible that our understanding of Scripture today could have something wrong about it? Now, if anybody says no, you're going to get it today. (laughs) Not from me, but from God. Because here's something I want us to realize. Holiness is not, and I'll tell you, when we say the word holy, especially out into the world, when we say the word holy, people immediately, they don't like it. It's like, yeah, I've seen holy before, and they hit me in the face with the Bible. I've seen holy before, and I don't do ties. I've seen holy before, and I can't even understand that translation of the Bible. I've seen holy before, and, and, and I don't even understand what they're saying. I, I remember talking to someone one time, and they were talking about this person who was a mutual acquaintance of ours, and they said, hey, have you met so-and-so? And I said, yeah, yeah, I have. He goes, why, why do you act like that? He goes, he's so, he's so holy. I just, everything he says, I just kind of, just, I just have to listen to it. And I said, honestly, what he says doesn't make sense to me. He's like, what do you mean? He uses words that don't mean anything outside of a churchy context. He's like, okay, Joe, keep going. What do you mean? And I said, he says the word fellowship and bless all the time. That means nothing outside of the church. Now, do we get fellowship because of Jesus? Oh, yes, we do. And it's awesome. And it's, I don't understand it, but it's an awesome blessing. Are we blessed? Yes. But walking around when someone says, hey, how you doing, Joe? I'm going, blessed. What does that mean? What does that mean? My honest response is, life is terrible, but God is really good to me. And man, I have had more opportunities to share Jesus in that situation than putting on my halo and scaring people by saying, blessed. It sounds like it should be a cover in like some 80s dance music song or something. It's, it's, it's frustrating, but we've used it. We struggle with certain views because we just get caught up in it. Our parents said it. Our friends say it. Our family says it. And I'm not saying our hearts are wrong. What I'm saying is, is we miss the real depth of what it means. Because here's what I would say. If you were talking to someone, let's say you're sitting down, you're having a coffee, and someone sits down next to you, and you strike up a conversation, and they said, hey, what do you do? Like, well, I'm this, and, and, I, and I go to this church. The pastor's a little weird, but the chairs are good, so I, I like going. And, and we know neither of those are true. So... The, the conversation then goes, well, well I, I get tired of these religious people. They're always holier than thou. What does holy mean anyways? What would be our answer? What would be our answer? When God says, be holy because I am holy, does that feel like God's saying, hey, jump over this 
I know you can't, though, but I'm going to tell you to do it. That's what it feels like. And I think it's because we don't really understand what holy is. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1. You can write it down. This is from a paraphrase. And I will tell you, this is probably the most powerful and, 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 and realistic translation of this section I've ever read in my life. Here's what he says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into these old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life that's shaped by God's life. And here's a key. And I think we should all evaluate our own life by this. A life. Here's what God says. Be holy. Be holy like God is. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way, just like we sang. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father. And he doesn't want you. And he won't let you get by with sloppy living. When I think of my life, do I see it as energetic and blazing with holiness? Because that's how our God's holiness is. He lives in unapproachable light. When he came and the, the bush was set on fire, did Moses just sit there and go, yeah, this is kind of good. Go get some uh, Hebrew nationals and some buns, and we're going to go ahead and have a, a cookout here. No, it was so incredible and amazing that he's just like, ah, that's all he said. There's no sound effects in the Bible. I did it for you. There was just absolutely nothing he could do or say. Speechless in his presence. Is that how the world is with us? Is it something so, not, not irritating because you know, you're wearing a white shirt and you ride a bike and a tie and you look holy kind of thing, but I'm talking to the point that, that, that the world doesn't phase us, but yet they know that we love it because that's our God. Nothing phases him. But I have no doubt that he loves me. Is that us? So the title for today's message, as we go into Colossians chapter 3, you can turn there. And if you could, put up the rest of the lights. Colossians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 18. But the title of the message is this, what does holy look like? What does it look like? You know, some of us, we, we had those pictures in our minds. Some of us have that, that Renaissance or that Baroque picture where you've got the Jesus and he's got that gang symbol or whatever and he's got the halo on it. How many of us thought of that, that painting? Anybody? I'm the only one, aren't I? Wow. Okay, well, that's what I thought of. I want us to, to go back to the beginning of chapter 3 of Colossians and, and it will be up on the screen. And I want to pull on some things because I don't want us to lose the context of where we're at. So Colossians chapter 3 starts with two verses. And he says this, So, if you have been raised with Christ, he's not asking that. He's making a conditional statement. If you have been raised with Christ or the Messiah, seek what is above. You can underline the word seek in your Bible. Where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. So first off, he says to seek. Here's the next verse. And I, want, and I want us to realize this here. Set. So he says, seek, and he says, set. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. Those are very unconfusing statements. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. 
You're not wondering at that point in time, well, should I focus on the earth things because of this? No. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Be holy for I am holy. Focus on me first. Well, what if I need to get to work? I mean, why would I worry about Jesus if I just got to get to work on time? If I'm not doing it in the power of God, I will not accomplish what God has for me, nor will I be able to see what God has for me. It has to be in the context of our Savior. That's why Paul starts off chapter 3, which is a transition chapter in this book, from theology and Christology and and salvation in the first two chapters to the next two chapters, and we're continuing in chapter 3, of practical application. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to raise your hand if the answer is yes, and keep your hand up as we go through it. First question, have you ever wanted to know how to be a better wife? Raise your hand, all the way up, raise your hand. All right, no guys raise their hand, okay. <laughs> keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How about how many of you have ever wanted to be a better husband and, and wanted to know how to do that? Raise your hand. Raise your, raise your, okay, you can keep your hands raised, ladies. Everybody, okay, there we go, okay. Now, if you've answered yes, raise your hand. Now, here's the next one. How many of you have ever wanted to be and understand how to be a better child? Okay, you can put two hands up, there we go. How many of you have ever wanted to know how to make children better or have good children or grandchildren? Okay. How many of us have wanted to be a better employee? Some people put their hands down. Come on, put your hands up. I'm about ready to have you wave them in the air. There we go. I'm counting my son to sin in church. I'm just kidding. You can put your hands down. Here's why I had you do that. Because this type of teaching, many people immediately think, I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife, I'm not really a kid because I'm an adult, Um, I work for myself, so this scripture doesn't apply. Well, I'm here to say, farm stool. That's not true. Because here's what I want to say as Christians, if you didn't get it, farm stool, stool is another word for things that happen in a toilet, make the connection, okay? It's not true. If you are a Christian, we must know what God's Scripture says about those things. If you want to have a conversation with someone about the most important things that bother them in their life, marriage, employment, and kids. Well, I don't have a job, I'm not married, don't have any kids. Then you have to get straightened out with all three of those things. We're going to get you married, going to get her pregnant, and we're going to get you a job, all right? And we'll probably reverse some of those things around in the right order. Because I will tell you, even if you're single... People will ask and come to you that are married and they do have children, and we need to be able to give the wisdom of God because of what Scripture says, not out of our own, well, this is what I did. Well, I'm definitely not listening to that then. We need to be able to give that wisdom. Even though we may not need it now, we may need it in the future, or we may need to share it with someone because here's what Scripture says about us as Christians. We are to be raising up and mentoring those that are younger than us in the faith and chronologically. And if discipleship is not part of our regular practice, we are not obeying what God called us to do. It's like a car-making robot that decides to play Legos during work. That's not its job. Its job is to pick up the metal, to weld it, and move it down the line. In fact, you would take that robot, you'd beat it with a sledgehammer to get it to do what it's supposed to do, and if it doesn't, you remove it from the line. Because it's just not doing what it's supposed to. God wants us. He built us to do something. We have the power to do whatever we're built to do the best, better than anything else we try. 
Here's the next thing I want us to see. You'll see verse 12 up on the screen of Colossians. And here's what God says we are because of him. Therefore, God's chosen ones, what's that word there? Say it out loud. Holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The list keeps going, and we continue now in what he's talking about putting on. Because we're chosen. Chosen meaning separated out, which then he uses a word to clarify and says, holy. And not just holy in a religious sense, you are love, you have a relationship with me. So he says, because you are holy and you're mine, I want to help show you how I built you. Think of this, think of the scenario. How many of you have ever made a big career change? For many years you were one thing and all of a sudden, boom, you were something totally different. How was that the first day? Yeah, a lot of toilet paper used. It's stressful. You wonder, are you doing the right thing? Are you doing a good job? Or maybe you went in cocky and then found out three weeks later, you don't know what you're doing. Whatever it was, it's awkward in that first few weeks. It's a struggle in those first few weeks to try and move forward and know what success is until you get comfortable, until you start to figure out what that is. That's what Paul is trying to get across for us as Christians. There is a transition into what we really are to be, what we were designed to be. I know people who were one thing, and then after Christ, their heart completely shifted. They became something totally different. And I'm not saying they went from a a real estate tycoon to um, someone who served food in a soup kitchen, because that's what we would think of as holy. It could have been the opposite. They were all about the social justice, and then realized Wait a second, God gifted me in business so I can empower and fill the wallets of ministries that are doing amazing things that I just can't do. You never know. You never know how God's going to use it. Here's what I want us to start with. You'll see the point up on the screen. Jesus has a prescription for our lives. He does. He he has this prescription written out for us. Now there's a hint. Here's the first part. But he says this, be like him and focus on what he focuses on. It's really easy to hear something that says, be holy for I am holy. And then just get frustrated because that, I don't know what that means. I don't understand why it's, 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 it's saying that to me. This is what it is. Focus on what he focuses on. Is Jesus flowing out in every step that I take, every, 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 oh man, I almost sang the song, every move I make, every vow I break. No, Jesus is not necessarily in that song. But it's important for us to realize that he does have a prescription for us. And here's what I want. We asked this question, you'll see it up on the screen, how do we define holy? Well, here's the next two points related to that, and then we'll dig right into Colossians. Because here's the first thing. Holiness is not, it's not a religious or set of churchy things to do. It's not. If, if the world looks at holy and they hear the word holy, that's what they think of. They think of, wait a second, hold on, let me tuck this in. Okay, now he's a holy pastor. But I wore jeans with holes in them to push the point. They're holy jeans. Jesus wore them. No, no one laughed at that one. Come on. 
Here's what I want us to realize. Charles Stanley said this. He said, holiness is the fact that Jesus infects and affects everything that we do in our life. That's what holiness is. And here I want to kind of paraphrase that. You'll see it up on the screen. What holiness is, wait for it, wait for it, is being like Jesus in all of our interactions and relationships. Because I know a lot of people will say, well, it's like being Jesus in our relationships, but I'm not in a relationship with a guy in front of me that cut me off, so he can go find Jesus himself. No, every interaction, every way that we interact with things and people and every relationship we have, if Jesus isn't infecting that, we're not holy. In order for Jesus to affect and infect everything around us, he has to be in us and vibrantly changing us first. That's what holiness is. So let's, let's read. We're going to read all the way through the text for today, and then we're going to dig into it. Because it's almost a stair step of things that build on. So Colossians chapter 3. You guys are thinking, we haven't even read a Bible verse yet. And he's talked a lot. Verse 18. We'll start there. This is my favorite verse. I was going to put like a, a flame suit on or something like that. But put the lasers away, ladies. Verse 18. Wives. In fact, you know what? I'm going to have the, I'm going to, ha- I'm going to do this. Ladies, what's that next word? Look in your Bible. Wives, you can't even say it without gritting your teeth. Submit. Or you, or you have this head now like submit. <laughs> Body language is like, yeah, right. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We're going to shred that one. Don't worry. Husbands, What's that word say, men? Love your wives. That word there is agapeo. That word is unconditionally give a care. Unconditionally give a care. Now, I'm going to tell you at the first part of this teaching, I know you guys will be really surprised, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to mince words. There are going to be some marital topics I bring up. But I want us to realize something here. Because he says this, and do not be bitter toward them. We're going to look at a better translation of that in a minute here. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it as heartily to the Lord and not to men. That's the second time, by the way, in this chapter that Paul said that. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Where do we receive our reward? From the Lord. Not our employer, not our friends, not our co-workers, not our bank. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the original language, the word for isn't there. It's, it's almost a directive statement You serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not your boss, not your masters around you, not anybody else around you. You serve the Lord first. In verse 25, because everybody wants to complain, well, what if my boss is mean to me? Don't worry, there's a verse for that. Verse 25, but he who does wrong, he'll be repaid for the wrong which he has done. There's no partiality. God's not going to say, well, he's the boss. It just stinks to be you. No. No. We all give an account to God. All of us do. 
no matter what our position is. The lowest socially, the highest socially, the middle of the road socially, all of us answer to God first. And then man structure around us that God ordained. So as we go back to verse 18 and 19, you'll see up on the, the screen, the New Living actually has uh, the best translation here of, of two Greek words that are in here. And here's what, here's what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. And I love how this says this. As is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Here's what he says. A wife submitting to their husband is what holy people look like. It's what holy people look like. Here's the next verse. This is one I really, really like. Because all the men are like, oh, I don't like that verse now. I liked it when it said bitter, because I'm never bitter. Okay, men, here we go. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Man, we are good at it, though, aren't we, guys? We can get just like that right tone. And some of it's silence, depending upon our personality. If you're loud and obnoxious like me, it has to do with volume and grit in your voice. We can be harsh. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Hell also has no fury like a man who didn't get his sandwich on time. I stepped there, didn't I, boys? Here's what I want us to remember. Here's what these verses don't say. Number one, and you don't see it on the screen. I want you to remember this. These verses don't say, women submit to men. It's not what it says. It says, Submit to your own husbands. Why? Because Jesus, and, 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 and in the beginning of creation, designed marriage to be a picture of the relationship that God has with his people. And a wife that is chosen who is the picture of humanity, a wife that is chosen to establish her authority on her own, is saying to the spiritual world and to the physical world, I don't have to submit to God. I'll figure out my own way. That's why it says as is fitting, as, as what, what it should look like in the picture of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is shown very weakly but beautifully in the picture of marriage, which is why God says, I hate divorce. Not divorcees. I hate divorce because it's a lie. The spiritual world is bound together. I will never, never break away. You're mine. He doesn't want that brokenness. He wants forever relationship with us. And divorce says that can happen. And that's not true. God wants us. And so marriage is, is, is a beautiful thing. It also doesn't say that wives are the servant of men. Submission does not equal servitude. It doesn't equal less. In fact, the word submission, if you really want to get specific about it, and you apply it to Jesus and the new kingdom, it's the highest form. It's the highest level in his kingdom. Because scripture says, submit one to another. Always treating others higher than ourselves. Thinking about their needs above our own. Looking at them above us. He who wants to be first, needs to be last. Must be the servant of all. Jesus himself. The greatest servant. The greatest example of servant. Here's what it does say. Two points for us to think about. The first thing of what it does say is this. Remember, we're, we're, we're doing this whole series is foundation repair. Here's what I want us to think about. A holy wife enables, not an enabler, enables and empowers her husband, that's not a period, to lead. 
The goal is, how do I, and if I'm a wife, I'm saying this, how do I as a wife, how does a person as a wife enable and empower their husband to lead? Well, what if they're not a Christian? That does not change the role of the wife. Because this scripture is in response to God, not them. We don't decide if we obey God if someone else is a Christian or not. We decide if we obey God because he's God. That's when the decision comes. Well, if they're not nice to me. What if they've chosen to walk away from God? I've looked at two women in counseling and friendships before in the past. And I've said this as gentle as possible. I think you're the reason he doesn't want to be around God. Because you've never given him a chance. He can't fail. He can't make mistakes. And when he does, you've got a list to remind him of that one plus 20. Enable and empower the man to be a man in the home. If he does something good, tell him how hot and sexy he was doing it. Go for it. All I did was take the trash out. It doesn't matter. Put some water on your forehead and say it made you sweat. (laughs) It's Alaska. It doesn't happen unless you're in this building and sweating. But it's it's so important. And and I'm telling you, uh, okay, hold on. I don't know if that'll work, Pastor. I'm a dude. It works, okay? I feel awesome. Even just, even just, I'm telling you guys, if, if you take the guts to every night pray with your family, wives, go to your husband and say, thank you. Thank you for praying with the family. Because I'll tell you right now, there are many families in Christian homes that have never prayed together and never opened Scripture together. Women, find a way to encourage that man. Buy him a new Bible with his name on it. If he doesn't read his current one, do something. But, but here's the other part. Enabling and empowering is not nagging and bothering. Because how, men, how do you want to make sure that you're not going to do it? Tell me a hundred times. That's just a hundred more times I'm not going to do it. Okay? You told me to fix this one thing. You don't have to nag me for six months to make sure it gets done. Right, men? Count it out. Count it out. Six. The ladies are grinning. It's important to remember that the, the role here is that enabling and empowering we're, men, we're shallow. We need some of those things sometimes, don't we? Some of the men are nodding. Yeah, yes. Of course we do. It's important. Here's the next thing I want us to think about. This, this is the one that stings a little bit. You'll see it up on the screen. The level of submission to Jesus is evidenced in the level of submission to the husband. Now think about that one. Because some of us might not agree with that right now. I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. Because I'll tell you what, I love myself some Jesus, but uh, I dropkick my husband sometimes. (laughs) It's impossible to be angry, frustrated, dropkicking a husband and be in love with Jesus. It cannot be done. Why? 
Because the only way that we can unconditionally love someone is the power of Jesus in our life. There is no agapeo without God in our life. So if, if there's a struggle in submission, if there's a struggle of, well, well, I get it. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying, well, okay, pastor, I'll go home and do that. It's so easy. I forgot. No, it's not. Because what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to get home. He's going to look at you. And, he's not, and you're going to get home. And guess what? The trash is not going to be out where it was supposed to be. And you're going to run over something. Or the door isn't done right. Or you open the door and the same creak and the same problem. You stub your toe and the same thing is left there. And you go into the bedroom and there's a pair of underwear on the floor that you know should have been there. Of course, and you ask him, is this yours? And of course, man, you should ask back. If it isn't, I have a few questions of my own. But either way, you have all this stuff that's going to come at it. And you're going to have to choose. Do I love Jesus or me? Because if we love me, then the mask comes off and I go at you. What if we love Jesus? changes how we interact. And that's why the next part for men, don't worry women, I am much meaner to men, I've got four points for them. Women are like, (laughs) verse 19, something so powerful in Colossians, do not treat your wife harshly. Here's the first point for us men, something to think about. A holy husband, a holy husband, here's two words, actively and unconditionally loves and cares for his wife. And the reason I said those two words together, actively, is because we can't treat our love for our wife as an, oh, yeah, I forgot. I totally, I unconditionally love her. Yeah, I told her like 20 years ago. No, we actively and unconditionally love our wife. It's not something that we're passively involved in. It's not something where we, you know, try and imply it through things. We need to say it, and we need to do it. We need to be engaged with with a lifestyle that is constantly centered around the glory of God. And through that, it'll pour out of us. You'll see the next point there. Grace, and man, it's hard. It's hard. Grace pours out of a man who deeply knows the grace giver. Grace will pour out of a man who deeply knows the grace giver. Let me share this with you on um, why I hate being a pastor. Because... When you do like a marriage kind of thing like this, guess, guess what I dealt with all week? Having to give out more grace to the kids, to my wife. Guess what wasn't where it was supposed to, what I thought we had agreed upon? The pair of pants I wanted to wear. And I just had to stop and go, practice what you preach, practice what you preach, practice what you preach. It's, it's, it's not easy at all, to go through life with someone who's completely opposite. But I'll tell you, it's completely possible and glorious if we have the grace of God flowing out of us. In fact, the safest place to be able to make mistakes in our life should be in the most intimate relationship, our marriage. I should be able to mess up all day, every day, and still have that love and acceptance. But for many of us, we either don't hand it out we don't get it. We need to focus on the fact that it starts with our relationship with Jesus. That is how the holy happens. That's how the holy happens, is that relationship with Jesus changing and transforming us. Here's the next thing I want us to think about. 
The third point here, a holy husband. Think about this one, guys. Is gentle in his words, his tone, and his actions. Introverts and extroverts, you're all guilty on this one, all right? I tried to use all the right words here. Words, tone, and actions. Why do I say words, tone, and actions? Because we can say something with the right words, and we can say something with even the right tone, although sometimes it's hard for some of us to hide it, but then the actions are what speak what we really said. Or maybe behind the scenes we're doing the right actions, but we never use words. Cut it out, guys. Pull out some words and use them. I don't know a woman that doesn't like to hear a beautiful set of words from the man they love. No woman raised her hand and said, never mind, I want him quiet, he should be seen and not heard. Said no woman ever. Never. The opposite of this is because one of the things that crush, that absolutely crush and say to our wife, you are not safe, you are not secure, I will not cover you with my love, is harsh words, harsh tone, and harsh actions. And then they don't come back quickly after that kind of abuse, do they? Even if it's one little fly off the handle, it's a slow back up because we said you're not safe. So what do they do? I'm going to protect myself because he's not. So we need to be careful. One of the things after the marriage conference my wife and I went to a few months back that does not stop convicting me, I am a loud person. I am abrasive. And it's not because of hate or anything else. I'm just that way. But that's not how my flaming introvert wife is. She needs to be spoken gently to. And if I really love her and really care about her, then that is how I will speak, that is how I will look, and that is how I will act. Now, I can't do it without Jesus, though. In fact, my wife could look at me every day, and she calls it uh, the grumpy bear or the bear is back or something when I'm grumpy pants. And, and if she said to me, she could, she would be right every time. If I just snapped at her and got nasty, she could go, so you had a crappy Devo today, huh? She'd be right every time. Because I didn't seek God first, I sought me. I sought the news. I sought the coffee. I sought the book. I sought the sports center. I sought whatever else except for Jesus. And then here's what I, I proved. The squeeze out of there, and then no grace, no love, no care. Here's some questions for, for the guys. I told you, ladies, I'm not, I'm not nice to guys. Here's some questions. You don't have to write them down. If you, really want, if you really want them, send me an email, text me, catch me afterwards. Here's questions for us to ask, and here's why I'm telling you them. These are pasted on my wall in my office to just punch me in the mouth every time I'm in there. Here's the questions. Have I treated her like my gift and been thankful? Am I caring for, protecting, and investing in her as my treasure? Do I act like she is my greatest blessing on this earth? Do I treat her as if she is more than I deserve? Do I speak and treat her gently because she is precious? And here's a big one, guys, because it's very hard for us to get this one right. Do I make sure she knows that she is liked and loved? Do I make sure that she knows she's liked and loved? That's a big one. Because it's easy to say, I love you, and give roses and take a date, but every activity throughout our day doesn't say, I like you. And so the word I love you means nothing. 
Let me give you an example from my own failures. And I'm, and I'm excited that I have a wife that shares these things with me. I'm a joker. I know you guys are really surprised. I'm a joker. And, and I can poke and, and find people's weaknesses and laugh about it because I do that about myself. Some of the best jokes are self-deprecating jokes. I, I make them all the time, make fun of myself because we're all human. But there are times where I start joking about personality traits with my wife, and that communicates I don't like you how you are. That's not the same for everyone. But that's how I was communicating. I don't like you. Of course I love you. But you know, I don't really like you. I don't like being around you. It, and, and I didn't say that with my, my words directly. I said it in how I talked about the most amazing traits that she has. And I spoke of them in a negative fashion. Now, I praise God for two things. I had a man say something to me and how my wife say something to me. And it's something that I'm working on and have been working on and need to always be working on to show my love for my wife because I love her. I will die and I will kill anybody else that gets near her to try and hurt her. There is nothing, nothing that will break the love that I have for her. But I also need to make sure she knows I like her. That's important. We're going to move to the next section. Everybody's shoulders up. It's okay. Because here's the next section. And it's going to talk about kids. And I want us to realize something in here because what Scripture says in verse 20 and 21 might seem like a seasonal thing for us to focus on, but it's not. It's something we need to have a good understanding of scripturally because I will tell you, unfortunately, the church has had a terrible answer for parenting for far too many years, and you cannot tell the difference between a Christian family and a non-Christian family these days. In fact, I've seen, in in many cases, a non-Christian home operate better and in some times even have better holy practices than a supposed Christian home. Why? We have the scripture right in front of us. We overcomplicate it. Here's two things I want us to remember from a parenting perspective. Number one, a holy child. I want a holy child. I don't want a halo with weird gang signs and a painting, but I want a holy child. I want a holy child, and here's what Scripture says. A holy child obeys and respects their parents. Now, that's to anybody in here who is still a child of their, their parents, which means you're still living at home and depend on them for money, okay? I can count like eight in here. That's what God challenges you with. In fact, I should say requires, not challenges. Now, parents, if you're sitting next to your kid, elbow him. Right now, just elbow him. That's what God's saying to you, kids. Oh, my gosh, that was a good one. I had a thud. <laughs> Someone just got slain. All right, next. Don't worry, kids. Here's your moment. Holy parents, and I'm looking at everyone here, parents and grandparents, holy parents and grandparents requires what God requires. Parents, if you're not holding the standard that God holds, you are saying, children, it's okay for you to disobey the Ten Commandments and disobey God. I'm serious at that. Get, get this. If we do not require what Scripture requires of our children, we are authorizing the violation of God's law in our home. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. So kids, gently nudge your parents. Hold me accountable. Come on, kids. Gentle. Gentle, because mom should whack you if you hurt her too much. It's, it's a, it, it is a big deal. Parents, we, we are called to hold that standard in our home. 
And when we allow mouthing off, when we allow disobedience because it's what they felt like, we say, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's only nine commandments anyways. And we wonder why kids walk away from God when they leave the home. I'm not, I'm not here to say what people, I'm not here to go, like, here's some free flowers and Jesus loves you. I'm here to preach what we come to in Scripture. This is not an easy section. But if God says to be holy, it's because that's the best way for us to live our life. And I can't think of a home that has more joy, a home that has more happiness, a home that has more purpose than a home where God is glorified and holy in the life of the mom and the life of the dad and the life of the children. Scripture says that a disciplined son or daughter brings peace to the home. Man, how many of us wanted peace when we had kids in our home or want peace in our home now? Well, God already gave us the prescription. Let's not wonder and try and figure out what works. Let's just do what's right. Whether it comes to marriage, whether it comes to parenting, God's already told us. Well, there's got to be more. Like, like what, what, if they, what if they obeyed me the second time? Then they disobeyed the first time. You don't give them a second chance on something simple. Hey, go do this for me. No. Okay, well, discipline time. It's because we love them more than we love ourselves. It's important for us to realize these things because we, we, we have entreated to us. Psalm 78 says that God's design for parenting is for five generations to be affected from the one we're raising right now. That's massive. Can you imagine your kid right now will affect the salvation and the work of God for five generations if we really take it serious and give those kids to God? You want to change this valley? Be a godly parent right now. You want to change this valley? Support godly parents. Just like I've asked you guys, and you have had a great response to watch our kids while we have our parenting home group next door. That's what will change this valley. Not another center, although we need those for the current brokenness we have. But it's Jesus in our homes that will change because those homes then infect around us. And it's important. Verse 21 has something important, and I, and I love this because as I've gone through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, I have found so far, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm leaving this up because I may have not found it, I have not found yet in over 35 years, I have not found yet a Scripture that says, mothers, here's what you do as a parent, not one. I've seen Scriptures that say, mothers, here's your benefit from how a child is parented. Every command for parenting in Scripture is to the Father. I haven't found one to the opposite yet. Now, what I think about that, or should I say how the evidences we see of that in today, it's huge. Fatherless homes, whether the father is there or not, men who give up, men who don't care how many women they sleep with and how many kids they get as long as they got what they wanted. Whatever it is, there's an attack on men. But here's, here's a couple things I want us to think about. How do we as dads, and even carry this into grandfathers, how do we, and, and Scripture says to us right here, verse 21, let me read it again. Fathers, do not provoke, provoke your children, I'll get that word out, provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That word provoke is... It's not the best word there from a translation perspective. But here's the four ways I see 
For us as dads, we provoke our kids to be discouraged. Here's the first one. We're going we're gonna to zip through these rapid fire. First off, inconsistency. We don't act the same. We don't require the same thing. If I'm tired, you can get away with more. If I'm uh, really tired, you can't even breathe right and you're in trouble. Whatever it is, the standard is never the same. It constantly changes based on my emotions, my tiredness, or frustration. The next thing is unrealistic standards and goals. Guys, our job as dad is not to set the bar so high they constantly hit their face on it. That does not make a real man to put hair in his chest. It makes a guy say, forget it, dad, I hate you. And I know plenty of families that have had that happen. Put the bar somewhere realistic so that, yes, they may make a mistake, and then be there to help them. I'm the worst at this sometimes because that's how I'm motivated. Put the bar higher than I could ever reach it, and I will get over that. But that's not how every person operates. There needs to be grace involved when we set that standard, when we give that goal. Here's the next one, absence. Now, I want to pull on this because some of us would say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Let me, let me just be very specific. This could be physical or spiritual or relational maybe would be a better word. See, physical absence is huge because you don't see, you don't hear. Uh, the father can't see the dynamics of the home, home happening. But even worse, and, and I've seen this and, and I know family members have had this happen with them, it's the relational absence while dad's still sitting there because we make something else important. Whatever it is, whether it's the phone, it's the television, it's the book, it's the sleep, it's the the buddies, it's the whatever. Parenting, fathering, done right is to the detriment of ourself, not our children. And here's the biggest one that I think that we do to provoke our children and and to discouragement. It's the wrong priorities. We get motivated by things that should not be our primary motivation. I remember talking to a guy one time, and, and he, he was amped. He's talking about his career, all these great things that he was doing, and all the things that were happening. And I said, how's your kids? How's your wife? It's been forever since I talked with them, whatever. And I said, I don't really feel like your life is a success, then. What do you mean? I said, you've got five kids. Who's supposed to be raising them? You're the one who made them. Because success is not going to be measured. You're not going to get to the gates of heaven and God go, hey, 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 Fortune 100, top five for six years in a row, buddy. Hey, come on in. i got a place for you. It's not the measuring tool. What did you do with my son is the first thing that we're talked about. The next thing we see in Scripture is if you had a spouse, how did you operate with that spouse? Are they more godly because of the relationship with you? The next thing we see in Scripture is, and you can see it right here, here's the order of holiness. He talked for two chapters about what are we going to do about Jesus. Then Colossians chapter 3 has a couple verses here. We talked about working. what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with our spouse? What do we do with our children? Now, this isn't meant to make us feel guilty if we've got prodigal children. This isn't meant to make us feel guilty if some of our kids have decided a life not for Jesus. Let me be very clear, because children have their own will and they make their own decisions. But I want to be very clear that if we do have children right now, we have this opportunity to transform their life and shape the situation around them that they have the best chance ever to accept Jesus. I would never want to set them up for failure in life physically, nor would I want to do it spiritually. We'll set them up up for success in all ways, 
I'm going to skip over just a couple points because I've already covered them. When we finish the book of Colossians, God's put on my heart a new series. You can just put this in your mind from a get excited or maybe visit your friend's perspective or have your friends visit. I don't know why I said it that way. But it's going to be a series called At Home. And we're going to talk about what is God's model, what is God's picture in Scripture for what that home really should look like. Oftentimes we, th- we think when we watch the news, oh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. This, this city, this state, this town, it's horrible. And, and, we, and we think because it doesn't match something that we like or want, therefore it's not godly. And, and oftentimes we may be right, but what's the answer? Sometimes we're better at identifying the wrong than we are standing up for the right. So I want to encourage you, as we get into that series after Colossians, we're going to dig more into what we've talked about. If you look at verse 22, verse 22 says, servants, you can put in there employees, um, employee-boss relationship, whatever you want to call it, because we don't typically have servants as Scripture talks of them, although I challenge anybody here to say they do not have a servant at home. We do. It's called a dishwasher. It's called a hot water heater. It's called indoor plumbing. It's called lights. There's a lot of things. Washing machine, dryer, those are all servants. They're all robots that stole the servants' jobs, really. A lot of us have servants in our life. So that's what these servants are. They're employees in this case. They're, they're people that do something for money or lodging or whatever it is. And so put your name in that section of servants. Oh, but I'm not a servant. Yes, you are. You work for somebody. So here's what I want us to think about. A holy person who's employed, and you'll see it up on the screen, a holy person who's employed. They're the best they can be whether people are looking or not. I know for me, the mostest, funnest day is when the boss isn't around. This is how it used to be. There's something about that. It just feels different, doesn't it? You goof off a little bit more, you act a little bit differently, whatever it is. Why? I'd just rather be goofy and have fun all the time whether my boss is around or not. We act differently when we're not being watched. Scripture is interesting when it talks about reputation and character. Someone summed it up very, very, very well and said, reputation is what you are when people are watching you. Character is what you are when there's no one around. It's very different. Some of us have jobs where we're our own boss. So we think, you know what, this verse doesn't really apply doesn't really matter. Well, don't worry, we'll get there. Because the message here is this, a holy worker, a holy employee, they're not two-faced. How many of us, oh man, how many of us have that lovely coworker that they were so nice, so obedient, so well-spoken when the boss came around? Anybody ever have that before? 
I mean, they're terrible. It's like, it, it, like you're, you're working next to them, and it's like you and Beelzebub next to each other. And then all of a sudden, the boss comes around, and it's like, oh, look, it's Michael the archangel now. It's like you just want to wring their neck because they're just so holy when that person's around. Oh, hey, boss, great to see you. How was the party this weekend? Checked it out on Facebook. Looks like I had a great time. And you were wasted. <laughs> you're so two-faced. Maybe that's us. Maybe the glory of God doesn't really matter because, you know, we're, we're at work. Okay? Verse 23 has something to say about that. Whatever, whatever, whatever we do. Now, is there anything not included in whatever? Anything? Anything? Nothing. Nothing is excluded from that list of whatever. So he says, whatever we do. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Here's what I want us to realize this, and this is something I want to hammer, hammer, hammer away at because the world and even the church says today, hey, make sure you get a job that makes you happy. Go to college and get your degree so you can have a job that makes you happy, so you can be happy with what you're doing, so you can enjoy every day going into work. Scripture says the opposite. Because you have work, enjoy it. Because you have work, be happy. Because you have work, be holy. It's not dependent upon the job, Scripture says. Here's what I want us to think about. It says whatever we do. Here's the first thing. Our job was not given to us by God to make us happy. Our job was not given to us by God to make us happy. Well, well, I thought God does things for his children. One of the reasons may have been to make us happy. But the primary reason was not, you know what, I just want them happy no matter what. No, here's the next part, and you, you know I'm baiting you in this anyways. It was given to us to make us holy. God's number one goal is for him to work in our life. So he puts things into our life to do what? Make us holy first. And a life lived how it was designed is the happiest life ever. Some of us struggle with liking our job. Some of us constantly, it's like, yeah, I do it for the paycheck or I do it for whatever. No, we do it for Jesus, and it changes it all. About 10 years ago, I remember going into work, and man, I would be content if, if I came in and just, you know, bopped everybody on the head with a broom pole as I walked by. I couldn't stand anybody there. In fact, I'd love to watch a repeat video of each one of them sliding down the stairs on their knees, trying to hold their coffee up. And they weren't carpeted stairs. They were the metal ones. That's pretty twisted. I was not happy. And I remember being frustrated in my devotion time. I'm sitting up there. I'm like, God, I hate this place. These people. There was a partner there that I just, oh, man, I wanted to slip him some sort of diuretic every morning in his coffee. Couldn't stand him. And God said something very clearly to me in my devotion time. Because I said, God, when can I get out of here? That's a question sometimes you might not want an answer to because his response to me was, Joe, you need to treat this job as if you're stuck here until everyone is saved. There's 57 people here. I don't think maybe one is a Christian. You got the wrong goals then, Joe. He didn't say, Joe, you stay here until they're all saved because it's not my job to save people. But it is my job, number one job, to be sharing the holiness of God with others. And so for two years, God had me on a mission trip at this company. And I got a chance to talk with people, pray with people. I still have people this day after, it's probably more like 15 years now, that will contact me and talk to me about things. 
It never would have happened had I not given over the happiness to God and said I need to be holy first. Here's the next thing. Our, our, our dissatisfaction in our job, how do we change that? Well, let me show you a couple areas where we get it. And we're, we're just going to tick these off real quick. Number one, we forget who we're working for, not the boss. That's not who we work for first. I had someone who, who talked to me, pulled me into his office. We had been working really late. It's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. It was in his office. We were wrapping up. I was going to walk out with him. He was my boss at the time, my mentor too. And he said, he looked at me, he goes, Joe, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. He goes, and, and it was weird because his, he was very nervous about it. He looked at me, he goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, uh, am I being baited? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 seriously, off, off the record. I said, well, on and off the record, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why in the world are you asking me? He goes, I can tell. I said, uh, why? I'm thinking, man, did I bring my Bible in one day or something? He goes, no, the people you work with and that work for you, you actually care. And I said, and I actually started crying. I'm like, that's not me. That is God. And I told him how, like, my previous job just four years ago, I was like, no, trust me, I hate people. I wanted to kill them all. Trust me, I'm not a nice person. I'm like, I don't get it. I'm still trying to get it. But that's the testimony of God in our life that God wants to have. I still talked to him. I was just texting with him two days ago. I love that man. It's been six, seven years since he asked me that question. But we forget who he worked for. He knew that my boss was Jesus, and he was okay with everything I did because actually this man grew up somewhat religious, and he loves Jesus. Here's the next reason why we have dissatisfaction and frustration with our job. We forget why we work. Do we realize as Christians we are on a mission trip from the day we put Jesus into our life? From the day we say, I'm devoted to you and you alone, you are my God and none other, we are on a mission trip. We don't have to go to Mexico. We're alive with Jesus in us. We're on a mission trip. That includes where we work, where we shop, where we sleep, the neighborhood we live in, the streets we drive down, the mailboxes we walk to. We are on a mission trip. And if evangelism is not part of our passion and our goal in our life, we're not on mission then. We're not on mission at that point. We're not truly having that fulfillment that God has given for us. Here's the next reason why we'd have dissatisfaction. We forget who gives us credit and rewards. The only reason I was able to remain in certain positions was because I constantly had to be reminded, don't worry, Joe. Yeah, I know. You got four of the highest ratings you could get and got nothing for it. I got you. I got you. Six years, highest rating in my group across all divisions. Six years, barely anything showed up for it. God had to keep working on me because obviously I'm very thick-headed. And then one year, all of a sudden, 20% raise, massive bonus. God had taken care of me. It was incredible, the timing. We have to remember who is in charge and who it is that gives us the credit and rewards. Here's the next thing. We forget or we mix up the mission. I talked about that of, of why we work, but we, we sometimes forget it and we mix it up on what the real priority is of why we are somewhere. And most of all, I think, we forget who's in control. Who's in control of the events? When things happen around us, when things happen to us, sometimes we wonder, well, God, where are you? He's right there. Well, I don't like this, God, so why are you allowing this? How could you let this happen to me? It's the wrong question. 
God, what are you trying to say to me? And we need to be like Samuel. Speak. I'm listening. Sometimes some of the hard, sometimes the hardest times in our life come because they have to match that area of our heart that God's working on. And he has to use a bigger hammer because our heart is way too hard. And man, what a God of love, because I could never imagine having to do that to my own kids and actually finishing. But we have a God that loves us far more than our emotions and comes at us and works on us in ways that we never would have wanted to, but it's always the best. Always. Here's what I want to close with. Because the last verse we read was verse 25. Verse 1 of chapter 4 is where we'll end, and it says this, Masters, give your servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As we close, you can put your Bibles and notes away. I, wanted, I want to remind us all that no matter where we are in our life, none of us are without accountability. None of us are. Whether we're a boss, self-employed, retired, whatever it is, none of us are without accountability because our accountability doesn't come from employment. Our accountability doesn't come from family. Our accountability doesn't come from uh, the, the things we want to shape around us. It comes first from our God. My accountability as a husband is first to my God, not to my wife. My accountability for my fatherhood is not to my children or my wife, it's to my God. And that's what will change and influence those things. So let's bow our heads because I want to pray with a couple different things. I talked fast today. I had a lot to cover. I apologize, but praise God it's recorded. This morning, I want to share the message that the accountability that we need first to Christ has to be fixed before anything else that we've talked about in here happens. This morning, if you'd like to recommit or for the first time commit that devotion to Jesus, for him to work out that holiness in your life, please raise your hand. I would love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Anybody else want to commit or recommit to Jesus working? Because holiness is impossible without the holy maker. Here's the next thing. One point that today, maybe more, that stuck with one of us. And God says, I want to make you holy there. Will you let me? Raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you and commit to that for this week. Amen. 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 For all of you that raised your hand, you can just pray quietly with me. Dear God, I'm sorry. I've lived a life now of my own abilities. I've defined holiness my way. Man, is that frustrating. 
Forgive me, God. Help me to commit to allowing you to work in my life. To be the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, the employee of God, the boss of God that you've wanted me to be. I want to be all that you've designed me to be, God. And I want Jesus to be my my example. I want him to pour out of me. In Jesus' name.